Welcome to Practice Life, the podcast devoted to the important non-clinical issues affecting the daily practice of equine veterinary medicine. Practice Life is brought to you by the American Association of Equine Practitioners. And I'm Mike Pannell, a practice owner and veterinarian, and a longtime EAP member and your host. Beringer Ingelheim's Equine Health Solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGAS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com company contact. Welcome to another episode of AAEP Practice Life. My name is Dr. Jessica Dunbar, and I'm joined by my co-host today, Dr. Mike Pownell. How are you, Mike? Hey, Jessica. How are you? Pretty good. I love the subject we have. I love it. I know. So we're, we have the pleasure of visiting with three equine veterinarians about my favorite topic, which is what we love about equine practice. And before I introduce them, I would like to thank Beringer Ingelheim for their support in making this podcast possible. So let's jump in here. Our first guest is Dr. Rachel Bourne from Wisconsin. And Rachel, would you please tell us about yourself and your practice? Good evening. I'd like to thank you for inviting me on the podcast today. It's an exciting opportunity. My name is Rachel Bourne, and I am a 1997 graduate of the Western College of Veterinary Medicine in Saskatchewan, Canada. After I graduated, I went to the University of Prince Edward Island and did a one-year internship. And from there, I was hired by Wisconsin Equine Clinic in 1998. So I have been at Wisconsin Equine Clinic for 25 years now, and I've been an owner of the clinic since 2005. My primary job is as an ambulatory veterinarian. And Rachel, you've always been a role model to me, and I got to spend a year at your practice in 2005, 2006, so I enjoyed my time there. So next, I would like to introduce Dr. Jeremy Shaba, who practices in Kentucky. Jeremy, tell us, tell us about yourself and your practice. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. I am originally from Michigan, and I uh, did my undergrad at Michigan State. And then went to the Ontario Veterinary College for vet school. And after that, I did a one-year internship in Kentucky at Haggard Equine in Lexington. And I have been there ever since, I guess. I kind of got stuck here. Uh, I did two breeding seasons in, in New Zealand. I did in the Southern Hemisphere, kind of where I traveled between there and Kentucky, which was pretty awesome. And my primary role is reproduction, neonates, primary care. That's what I do the most of. Great. Well, thank you for joining us tonight. And finally, we have Dr. Brooks Bardell, who practices in Virginia. Brooks, tell us about yourself. Thanks for having me. I am a 2016 graduate of The Ohio State University. Did a one-year rotating internship at Littleton Equine in Colorado before moving to Virginia and working in private practice small private practice until starting my own practice called Riverbend Equine two years ago. Great. And what is your focus with Riverbend? Right now, Riverbend, I do exclusively acupuncture and chiropractic, as well as some relief work. 
some sort of traditional short-term relief stints for practices when they need a little bit of extra help when they're understaffed or covering a maternity leave, that type of thing. But then also some regular part-time stuff with a local practice here that needs a little bit of help. So I've been doing that one to two days a week for the last year and a half. Wonderful. Thank you, all three of you, for joining us today. I'll pass it over to Mike. Yeah, so let's get into it. Rachel, we'll start with you. And uh, I mean, the obvious question is, why did you become an equine veterinarian? And if there was one person who influenced you, who sort of gave you that little guiding light to say like, hey, I can do this. So tell us about that. I think it's a little cliche, but I wanted to be a veterinarian my entire life. I grew up in England watching All Creatures Great and Small. So always dreamed of being like James Harriet, driving from farm to farm, taking care of animals. I also grew up the typical horse-crazy kid. I would spend all my time at the barn, being around horses. And it was interesting, kind of growing up, all of the equine veterinarians that I knew were men. And I didn't have any female role models prior to getting into vet school. So I had this misconception that I wouldn't be able to be an equine vet because I hadn't seen any women doing equine veterinary work. And getting into vet school, there was a couple of great role models there, Dr. Sue Ashburner at WCVM and Dr. Claire Card. And after I saw them doing what they do, um, then I, I realized that equine veterinary practice was for me. That's cool. I have to do one aside because I know they have the newer season of All Creatures Great and Small. And I have been surprised when I bring it up to some of our younger associates and they don't know who James Harriet is. And I would say to anybody who's in vet school now and don't know who James Harriet is, read the books. <laughs> I mean, they are amazing. That was influential for me, for sure. Uh, Brooks, how about yourself? Why did you want to become an equine veterinarian and, and who influenced you along the way? I sort of non-traditionally had no idea that I wanted to be an equine veterinarian. I went through all of my education, including my college degree in English, you know, through my senior year and then realized I didn't actually know what I wanted to do with it and that I didn't really like any of my options that I thought were probably what I was going to do. And so I started shadowing a equine veterinarian from Blue Ridge Equine, Tabby Moore, when I was in school and she was the team veterinarian for the wrestling team that I was on at the time. And I loved everything about it and enjoyed every minute with her. And she was so poised. And I had such a good time with her that I decided to apply to vet school. And then I had to get all of my prerequisites, all of my science credits that I did after graduating from my undergraduate and did it sort of intensively and then went to vet school. But it was sort of an indirect path. How is that? And I'll ask that because I had sort of a similar path when I decided to go to vet school. First time I took a science class was when I had to do my prerequisites, and I had a bit of an arts background too, and that kind of blew my mind because you can write a paper for an English paper, and it's kind of, you can justify your opinion, you're good, but in science, it is black and white. That's very true. I think if I'd done it the other way, I wouldn't have done as well. I think it took me sort of learning how I learn in college, and probably I was more successful in the science courses that I took later because of that. I probably would not have done as well if I tried to do it out of the gate. But uh, I also thought that I wasn't really any good at math and science until much later. And so I probably never really thought of it as an option and then found out that I'm actually not so bad at it. And it wasn't as scary as I thought it would be. 
and I enjoyed every minute of it. Very cool. And Jeremy, tell us about your story of why you wanted to become an equine vet. I have been riding horses since I was pretty little, but I had never, never really been interested in being a veterinarian until I was in high school and I got a job at a public farm in the metro Detroit area where we had kind of a few animals of every species. And every spring we would have um, all those animals would give birth. And we also had a bunch of draft horses and we would do horse-drawn hayrides for the public. So it was really eye-opening for me to to have that experience because I grew up in the suburbs. We didn't really have animals growing up at all. I ended up going to Michigan State and studying animal science. And while I was there, I met a man named uh, Dr. Ed Robinson. And he was my mentor kind of all through undergrad. And we did a lot of research together. And he really inspired me to pursue being a veterinarian. He, he was constantly challenging me. And he was really passionate about being a vet. And he loved what he did. And seeing how much, you know, and he was close to, he's retired now. And when I was with him, he had been doing it for quite a long time. And to see how much joy he still had in the profession and, and what he was doing kind of inspired me quite a bit. I love that. Thank you guys for sharing your your stories on, on how you got to be equine vets. Jeremy, we're going to stick with you for this next question. What has been the biggest challenge you've encountered in equine practice and how have you overcome it? Probably for me is learning not to, to doubt myself when I set boundaries for myself. It can be challenging at a big practice because there's some vets that don't mind working 24-7. And then there's a lot of younger vets that are really trying to set boundaries and have a better quality of life. And so when the weekend comes around and I'm telling my clients, you know, you can call this person if anything pops up, it can be a little disheartening because sometimes they make comments like, well, do you work any weekends? Or like, you haven't worked a weekend in a long time. And so knowing that my personal time is valuable and it can also be challenging because on the, a lot of the farms, the employees are working six days a week. You know, it's quite a, a different lifestyle here, and they don't have the same quality of life that, that the veterinarians are striving for. And so that has been a challenge. And then probably early on in my career, just learning to be confident with my skills and my knowledge and, and conveying that confidence to, so that the clients don't doubt you, because that's kind of half the battle is is making the clients feel like you know what you're talking about. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought up boundaries because that's something that each of us probably are working on or struggling with a little bit. So nice work. Brooks, let's shift over to you. Um, what has been the biggest challenge you've encountered in equine practice and how have you overcome it? You know, I think my biggest challenge to date was leaving my general practice job and accepting that there might be a different path that would be appropriate for my needs right now with my family and my personal life and my professional life kind of all finding out how to figure a path forward there. That was a scary decision. And I definitely at the time felt like it was a huge failure because it was, you know, moving forward in a way that was very different than how I figured I would be practicing when I pictured what it would be when I made the decision to go to vet school. And, you know, you make that choice to go to vet school and you picture yourself as an equine practitioner and what type of practice you'll be in. And went through my internship and even my first few years in general practice and then decided that I needed to make a different move. But it actually was not as terrible as I thought it was going to be. And I've enjoyed learning about practice ownership. I joined Decade One and they've been a huge support system. And Dr. Grace has a lot of knowledge. 
that I certainly didn't learn in vet school or in undergrad in terms of how to start a business and figuring out what services I might offer and how to grow. It's been a fun journey, but it was definitely not what I pictured. You're pretty brave to make that change. And I admire you for doing that. And that's the glorious thing about equine practice is there's many options out there and we just have to find what fits for us. Exactly. It's much more diverse than you would think. Totally. Thank you for sharing. And Rachel, let's shift over to you. Um, Your biggest challenge that you've encountered in equine practice and how you overcame it. I think for me personally, my biggest challenge was learning to say no. And no is a complete sentence. We say that a lot, but it's sometimes hard to do it. So setting boundaries and figuring out how to make it work for yourself. I mean, there's always the famous, while you're here, can you dot, dot, dot. And, you know, that may be, can you look at this lump on my horse, which you know is only going to take you a few minutes. But then there's the, well, while you're here, can we add two more lameness exams when you don't have the time? And I think for me to overcome that, it was setting boundaries and valuing my time and knowing that if I add these two lamenesses, I don't know what time I'm going to get home tonight because I still have a full day. But also trying to come up with solutions for the clients. They may not be happy to hear you say no, but it's like, no, but I can do it tomorrow or no. I have another associate who has time to do this for you tomorrow. So it's making sure the client has a solution whilst protecting yourself and, you know, being true to yourself. That's great advice. Yeah, that is a very familiar scenario, too. Have you found that it's been hard to teach your young associates to say no? I think the young associates, they want to please not only the client, but also the practice owner. and. I've had to lead by example, so they have to see me doing it and see me putting my out of office on and telling them how I would like to be communicated with after hours. So they see me doing those things so it makes it okay for them to also set their boundaries. And it's something that we, you know, we've stressed in the practice. We've talked about it multiple times. We've had outside people come in to talk about boundaries because it's so important to us that the vets take care of themselves just for the longevity of their career. So let's shift a bit. The flip side of the biggest challenge is what's been the most memorable day in equine practice? And and Jeremy, let's start with you. Like, what's the one day when you think back of when you're driving away from that appointment, you're like, this is what it's all about. I want every day to be like this. I think probably, uh, so after my internship, I moved to New Zealand for six months. Uh, There was one little pony mare that I got pregnant Um, And that was kind of the first horse I had done all by myself. And that was a pretty, pretty special moment to realize that, you know, everything you had learned and were working towards, you kind of knew what you were doing and you had created something that was pretty special. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I can remember that. And what about yourself, Brooks? Every day is different and exciting. You never know quite what to expect. But one day in particular, I guess, sticks out. I was already had a busy day and got your typical emergency in the middle of the day that I just knew was going to make the day last for forever. And it turned out to be a really cool emergency. And the horse is an older horse and he had choked on his own tooth, which I saw through scoping his esophagus. And you actually could visualize the tooth and my technician and I both just kind of looked up from the screen and looked at each other and we were like, what on earth is happening after we saw his poor little lacerated esophagus and giant tooth stuck in his 
what are the chances of that? <laughs> I know. I have pictures. And sometimes I look at them just to remember because it's wild. And he did great. We relieved the choke and his esophagus healed and he was fine. And the owner was very grateful. And it was kind of a fun example of your day taking an interesting twist when you think it's going to be just another emergency and your day is never going to end. And then it was something really cool. I think in the past episodes of recording this subject over the years, I think the most common thing is, is that you start the day at eight or whatever, and you know, things like this will happen and your day will not go as you expected. And that's kind of the fun part about it. How about you, Rachel? What was your most memorable day as an equine vet? I think in 25 years, there's a lot of memorable days, but I think one that for sure sticks out, picture Wisconsin in February. It's 4 a.m. in the morning I would like not and to. I get, I'm on call and I get a call from a client whose two horses had gotten out of their pen and ran through the neighbor's yard over a pool that had a covering and one of the horses went through the covering and was stuck in the pool that wasn't drained, still had water in it. And you get this call and you're thinking, how am I going to get a horse out of a swimming pool in February? And I'm thinking in my head going, can I go in the pool? I can't go in the pool. And I called my backup, Dr. Rob Blahowiak, I'll never forget this morning. And he came. So I'm thinking, well, he's a newer associate than me. I'm going to pull rank and send him in the pool. And so then we decide to call a technician from the clinic to bring the, the sled to move the horse and, you know, ropes and shackles. So if we have to put it around the legs. And so he's thinking he's going to send her in the pool because he's going to pull rank. And anyways, we got there and the fire department was there already in their, the gear so they could be in the water. And they had actually put a, a mesh netting from the back of an SUV around the horse, dragged it onto the side of the pool. The horse is currently on the side of the pool, just laying there. And their idea at that point was to pull the horse onto the wooden deck of this poor homeowner who they weren't her horses and let the horse stand up on the wooden deck in front of the sliding glass patio window, which I can picture wet horse on wood in the winter when it's cold, not being a great idea. So we ended up anesthetizing the horse and moving it onto a grass area. So I had all these firefighters helping us move the horse. And it was amazing because obviously the whole neighborhood wanted to know what all the flashing lights were. So all the people were out, they were bringing blankets, they were bringing rugs, and we were trying to rehydrate the horse. And the horse ended up getting up and we got it into a trailer, brought it into the clinic and good old dancer didn't look back, did great. It ended up being on the local news channel. So they came to the clinic and they, I got to be on the TV and, you know, just those things, they just stick with you because they're just like wild and crazy, but it ended up working out great in the, in the long run. That's a great story. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. With all the good days we have, there are sometimes hopefully infrequently hard days. I'd love to hear uh, from each of you regarding your hardest day. Let's go back to Jeremy. Um, what was your hardest day that you can think of as an equine vet? Hey, one of my clients is a therapeutic riding program and the uh, horses that they have are all pretty old and, and quiet. And so with that population comes a lot of, you know, end of life discussions and having to put horses down more frequently than at other places. And there was a little white pony named Casper that 
uh, we had put a lot of time and energy into and and we're trying to to get him healthy and we just kind of got to the end of the road and we we couldn't do any more for him and the owners were ready to put him down and we did it in their arena and they were crying and I was crying it was just really an emotional experience and you know euthanasias don't usually get to me that often but you know when you've worked on something for so long or you have a really strong relationship with the client and you see how connected they are to their horse it it can be really challenging challenging and and beautiful but still very sad for Casper I'm glad you could help him though and Brooks what about your hardest day that you can think of I guess probably we might end up on a theme of end of life decisions for patients I had one particularly challenging case actually during my internship where a horse was very sick and saw him on the farm recommended euthanasia and there was definitely some gaps in client understanding and um, able to comprehend recommendations and she was having trouble understanding the finality of his prognosis and so she insisted on referral so we figured out a truck and trailer got him to the clinic and I hoped that with a surgeon's second opinion that she would understand that he did need you know to be put down and she still insisted on putting him in a stall and so I put him in a stall and we end up running fluids and he ended up dying in the stall in ICU because she wouldn't consent to euthanasia and it was horrible you know for me for the horse for the assistant who technician who was on overnight with him and had to be with him for that and I haven't had anything to date that I felt like I no matter how hard I tried I couldn't seem to get through to the client and she still didn't seem to understand she was very grateful and kind when I called her to tell her that the horse you know had passed away but I was definitely more upset than she was and there was just a persistent lack of comprehension and that's always bothered me wow that sounds really hard I, I've just listened to this and it sounds almost identical to a case we had at our own clinic like two weeks ago and just did not want the horse to die uh, and it needed to. And just how tough it was on our vets, the ones that were dealing with it. And just it's and similar, you know, I haven't seen a sign yet. I haven't seen a sign until like three days later, it's dead in the stall and there's your sign. But it didn't have to be like that. It really upset our team quite a bit. So definitely. Sorry that happened that way. For sure. Despite great effort, it sounds like. And Rachel, let's shift over to you. What's your hardest day you can recall? It was certainly a challenging day, but I look at it positively because of the outcome. But I think for me, uh, I think my hardest day, I used to have a husband and wife couple that were very senior. The husband was close to 90. His wife was a little younger, and they had a cranky, crotchety, old saddle bred gelding named Arnie that they loved. He was their reason for going out every day. He was their reason for getting up. They did all the work for him. I mean, he was at a boarding location, but they did most of the work. And I would go for my appointments and there would be the older gentleman hand walking Arnie. He walked, the older gentleman walked with a cane and as cranky and crotchety as Arnie was, he would walk so slowly, just shuffling along on his hand walks in the arena, keeping pace with his owner. Every year I got a, a Christmas photo from them. They, you know, they dressed Arnie up in 
awful Christmas, not outfits, but hats and stuff. And, you know, he hated it. Uh, but every year they sent a new Christmas card and they always made me promise that if something happened to them, that I would euthanize him. And um, the husband fairly suddenly had some heart problems and it was early in COVID. So he was hospitalized and his wife could not go and see him. And he did pass away. And at the same time, she was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And she decided she wasn't going to undergo any treatment because she just wanted to be with her husband. And she had to make the decision to euthanize Arnie. And despite him being very senior, he was otherwise fairly healthy. But it was my promise to the owners, and I knew why they wanted to do it. They didn't want him to go to another home. They didn't want to have to worry about someone else caring for him like they had cared for him. So they scheduled that appointment, or she did, and I put him to sleep, and it was sad, and I cried, and I was actually amazed at how strong she was, knowing what she was dealing with. That was one of the only days, probably the only day in my career where I got done with that appointment, which was early in the day, and I called the office and said, I just can't do anything else today. I cannot do any more appointments. And they rearranged my day. My admin understood. and. I'll never forget them because they were such a lovely couple and everything I did was out of respect and, you know, my, my loyalty and my dedication to them, but it was still hard. You gave me goosebumps with that story. I can picture it, the owner with the cane. Yeah, I think you've been around long enough. You, you know, everybody has that version of that story for sure. It's, it becomes a familiar story. So knowing that and knowing how we just talked about the emotional mental demands of this job let's not even think about the physical demands of this job so what do we all do to go outside of work to recharge so rachel i mean you know after a day of that i mean yes great you went home early but what do you do in general not necessarily specific to that but to yourself to help you retain your enthusiasm for the profession I mean, I think for me personally, I, I divide it into what I do on a daily basis. You know, I love, I love to work out. So I go to the gym. I love to be outside. So weekends in the summer, I like to go hiking, find new hiking trails. I love baking. So every Sunday I bake cookies, bars, cakes, and I take it to the clinic on Monday. So we have dessert Monday. I've kind of created a monster, but that's something I enjoy doing on a Sunday afternoon and looking at it more on a, on a yearly basis. Like I love to travel. That's my thing. And so, you know, we talk about work-life balance and for me, it's, I work for the next vacation. So it's like, I work here, I travel here, I work here, I travel here. So I, I break my life down like that. And I'm always looking forward to the next trip. And I like planning that trip and doing the research. So those are the things that make me happy. Wonderful. Yeah. Seems like you got a lot of tools in your reservoir for that. How about yourself, Jeremy? How are you keeping yourself fresh? in practice a lot of the same hobbies as dr Bourne. i love to work out um, i just started uh, swimming laps this summer and that's been a lot of fun i love to cook and travel and i've recently become interested in trees i'm a self-proclaimed self-taught arborist now so I'm learning all about the trees that are all around my house because I, di I didn't know much about trees before and I planted up planted probably five trees in the last month. So that's been a lot of fun. I bet your yard is pretty. <laughs> yeah, it's it's getting there. 
there's like a quote about the the best time to plant a tree is five years ago or something like that. So we're, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm working on it. And yeah, working out, cooking, traveling. We uh, just got back from a whirlwind trip to Italy, which was a lot of fun for a for another equine vet's wedding, actually. Yeah, that's kind of how I I spend my time. Is. And Brooks, what about yourself? I still ride, compete my own horse a little bit when I have time, which I still enjoy a lot. And I actually took up yoga a couple of years ago. And fortunately, thanks to YouTube, I can take yoga classes without anyone having to see how inflexible I am. And my husband and I have a farm here in Virginia, so we spend a lot of time enjoying that and taking care of it and trying to make it better than it is, which is very much a work in progress. How many horses do you have currently? We have three right now. I have a new young horse who has been a lot of fun. And certainly I recharge that way by having to turn my brain off because I can't think of anything else while I'm trying to ride him. And that is a beautiful thing. And then I have a 23-year-old mare who has since retired from sport, but I enjoy trail riding her and my husband rides her sometime. And then we have a pony that keeps that mare company because really the whole farm is about that mare. And so the only purpose to the pony is to keep her happy and in her paddock. But Jessica, I have to ask you, what do you do? I mean, you got a, you're a busy practitioner. You're a mom, you're a wife. You've got a lot going on. What do you do to recharge? That's a great question. But I also have a new horse who's <laughs> six years old. And I, like you said, Brooks, when you're with a young horse, you have to be completely focused. So that is how I recharge. And I've been taking Wednesdays off. So I will always budget time at least on Wednesday for that, for Bentley, <laughs> to, to spend some time with him. But also, I, I really enjoy being mom. So, you know, it's usually usually being a taxi driver for my kids, but I try to embrace that because they're going to be driving soon anyway. So thanks for asking. Oh, we have uh, another question about what about equine practice has drawn you in and kept you in this profession? Let's go back to Rachel. What is it about equine practice? I mean, I think the several things, but just the fact that it's different every day. Life isn't boring. Every day has something new, you know, what seasons change. So working outside every day and all of the health benefits of sunlight. I mean, I think that's just such a, a great way to be. I couldn't imagine being in an office every day. I think as an ambulatory vet, you go to people's homes, you go to their boarding locations. It's like they invite you into their life. And I think it's a much different relationship than, you know, either equine vets working in a hospital where the horses come to you or small animal veterinarians. I think it just becomes so much more personal. And I love the relationships I've formed with my clients. You know, it's not just about meeting the client. You meet their husband, you meet their kids, you meet their other pets. And over time, you learn about their vacations and you watch their kids grow up. So they almost become family. And I think that's what has kept me doing it. It's just the variety and the wonderful relationships I have with my clients. I agree with you. <laughs> Those uh, relationships with the clients and just getting to know them over so many years is just so special and I treasure that too. It's like we have the saying though, like we're the one veterinary profession or one profession because we go to clients and see emergencies. We see clients in their pajamas and house, you know, bathrobes. So we, we see each other at the worst and best. 
they see us covering blood sometimes and you do get that intimacy with everybody. Mm -hmm. I had no idea when I went to vet school that the clients would be such a big part of what gives us the satisfaction. Let's shift over to Brooke. What keeps you coming back to equine practice? You know, I think a lot of that holds true for me too. It's definitely the people for me that makes it the most satisfying and getting to see them on their good days and their bad days and looking forward to seeing them. You know, there's lots of people that when I see them pop up on the schedule, I, you know, I'm excited and watching them be successful with their animal or helping them when things are not successful is a real gift. The fact that we get to do it while we're outside every day is definitely a plus because I agree with Rachel. I can't, can't picture myself in an office fluorescent lighting and nothing. No, that would be terrible. <laughs> that might be a common denominator with all of us. <laughs> no fluorescent lights. <laughs> Get us outside. All right. Now, Jeremy, what keeps you coming back to equine practice? A lot of the same things that everybody said already. Maybe one extra thing is the flexibility to be in charge of my own schedule. To have I have quite a big say in, in what goes on to my schedule and how my days kind of pan out. And I really enjoy that. And then some of my, my best friends have I've met on the farms that I work at. So when I was an intern, a lot of them were starting out at the farms, either as just working in the barns or working in the office. And now that, you know, that's eight years later, some of them are assistant managers or managers of farms or have moved on to their own farms and have brought me with them. And and that's been a really cool experience to grow together and to develop those relationships. Interesting. That's cool. A lot of the people listening to this podcast will be vet students or interns or recently graduated vet students, recently graduated interns. So the question I have for all of you is what advice would you give to anyone pursuing equine practice? You know, what would you tell that intern or extern student that is at your practice about what you need to do? So, Rachel, you're the one that admitted you've got the 25 years of experience. So we'll, we'll start with the experience and we'll work our way from that. You know, I think it's figuring out what you're passionate about. So when we first start, we don't really know the answer to that. You may decide I want to do medicine or I, you know, reproduction. But I think it's really figuring out what you love, and then just doing it, figuring out how to make that work and doing it. And when you do that, finding contentment, I think a lot of people think they have to be great at everything. And I don't think, I think all of us know the things we're good at and the things we are not good at. Like, I love ophthalmology. I love looking at eyes. I think I'm pretty good at it. I am not very good at musculoskeletal ultrasound. I don't enjoy it. I've never really enjoyed it. And I think it's okay that I'm not very good at it. I, you know, on an emergency basis, if I have to pull out a probe, I can do that. I can look for excess fluid in a joint or obvious signs of trauma in a joint, but I'm not the person to be doing some of that specialty ultrasound. If you have a good team around you, whether you're a solo practitioner and you know other people in your area, or if you're in a group practice, you call on those other people to help you. And when you're a young veterinarian, we talk about mentorship. You can call on your mentors. And to me, mentorship is just friendship and it's forming great relationships with people in a very small veterinary community. Like the equine community is so small and there are always people that are willing to help you 
and willing to help answer questions. And it's, it's figuring out what you're good at, doing what you're good at, being okay with not being good at other things. And then when you need help, just asking for it. Great. How about yourself, Jeremy? I think probably just spend time shadowing equine vets and see what their day-to-day looks like and see what the interactions with clients are like, what types of cases they get to work on, and realizing that there's so many subspecialties within the equine vet industry that you can kind of go off and create your own niche and you don't have to be confined to the, you know, the boundaries that you think an equine vet is and you can create your own path. You really can make it what you want it to be, I believe. Yeah. And uh, Brooks is a great example of that. So I don't know if you want to build on that experience, Brooks, and give your advice for anyone interested in uh, pursuing equine veterinary medicine as a career. Yeah. And, you know, I think building on that is just to be really open-minded. You know, you, you don't really know what you want sometimes until it plops down in front of you and you have to give it a try. And there's so many different things that equine practice can look like. I truly can't imagine myself doing anything else. And at first that seems scary. And, you know, until you realize there's so many options out there for the different ways that you can practice and there's a huge need in the community. I think, you know, if you surround yourself with people that are open-minded and interested in practice looking differently, if your needs are different than the standard 24-7 on call and, you know, the, the life that we think that it has to be, I think that's not always true anymore. And there are practices that are willing to work differently and be creative with you. And role models out there that are willing to talk about it if, you know, if you want to learn, you know, I think what Rachel said about getting good mentors and asking lots of questions, because there's so many different ways of doing things and you're not alone. And there's lots of people out there who have done it before you. I'll have to ask you again, Jessica, because when you go through where you work with so many externs and interns at Littleton, so what advice are you giving those uh, visitors to your practice? Thanks for asking. It's uh, along the lines of what each of you have said, it's think outside the box. If the tra- what we think of as the traditional equine veterinarian, if that doesn't work for your situation or your family, think outside the box. If you need to work a modified schedule, I have totally come to terms with dentistry is what I really love doing. And my schedule's kind of turned into a lot of dentistry. So I get to do what I love, still with some other things sprinkled in there. For me personally, and I'm sure that's not for everybody, but group practice has really been the right thing for me. So just know that there's many options out there. Think outside the box, ask for um, or seek out what you need to make this a long-term, you know, have longevity in this profession. It's the best profession ever. (laughs) It's a great profession. And I want to thank you, Rachel, Brooks, and Jeremy for joining us because getting your input and you know you know you said you know we all share it let's be honest there's some really challenging days but uh really the the great days do outnumber the those crummy days so thank you all for sharing your opinions i always think of recording this subject if even one student went you know what i'm gonna do equine like yay we did something so thank you i would feel really good about that well you three are doing an amazing job in equine practice and thank you for joining us tonight and before we sign off, I just want to make sure we thank uh, Barringer Engelheim because uh, I know they're doing a lot of work with uh, encouraging people to join equine practice too. And it really does take a team uh, approach. And so thank you all. Yeah, thank you for having us.
For more resources to help you in daily practice, please visit the AAP's website at aaep.org. Beringer Ingelheim's equine health solutions don't just come in the form of medicine. From our vaccine and EGUS assurance programs to our equine practice enrichment program, we offer a wide range of services dedicated to helping individual veterinarians and entire practices succeed in their business environment. To learn more about all the services we offer, contact one of our expert team members by visiting bi-vetmedica.com slash company slash contact.